And welcome back, everybody, to the Hot 16s podcast series. I'm out here, your host, PBP. We're back for another great installment. This episode is really, really special to me. Um, this is something I've been trying to put together for a little while. We had it scheduled, but of course, we have everyday lives and we have stuff going on. But today, we finally get to get one of my favorite teachers out from my youth. And today's guest is Dr. Vasquez. Dr. Vasquez is currently, she just got her doctorates from, is it USC? No, USC was my undergrad. Undergrad. Where are you getting your doctorate right now? Uh, UMass Global. UMass Global. So she she got her doctorates um, and she's getting it. Dr. Vasquez here. So guys, I just want to really quick say, remember the people that helped you shape you to be who you are. And like my father always told me, remember where you came from, because those are the real people in your life that help shape you to who you are. So today we have not only one of my favorite teachers growing up from Point Arena High School, but one of the people who actually had my back, actually gave me words of advice. And now I've taken what I've learned from her and everybody else from that area and made me today. So without further ado, guys, let's introduce Dr. Vatquez to the Hot 16 podcast series. And we're right here. Uh, thank you so much, AJ, for your kind words. Yes, um, of course. It's really an honor. For yeah. me to be here today and told you earlier in my mind's eye you're always going to be that young man oh yeah classroom and you're always going to be one of my kids mm -hmm. and i'm just so proud of what thank you've you accomplished thank and you if anybody knew circumstances of your youth upbringing yeah and how you've had to overcome so much more than it's just the average person mm -hmm. And now you're here and you're killing it. Yeah. I am so. I appreciate that. Thank you. And um, I, you know, I know how proud you are. Um, also, too, we want to also voice too. Uh, Miss Vasquez here is a sponsor too for our Hot 16s festivals. Uh, she she helped make the the first one go pretty smoothly. So thank you for that. You definitely, we appreciate your help and your encouragement. And you know, it's really great too for me because I'm glad that someone from my upbringing sees how well I've managed to take what I was given and what I've turned it into. You know, I don't have T sand hitting me up. I don't, you know, I'm not in contact with Mr. Blair, you know, like, <laughs> and Miss Grossman, like, you know, shout out Mr. Blair and Miss Grossman, but, and T sand, but, you know, she kept it 10 toes down, you know, straight up. She wasn't a sucker at the high school, and we would always love going to your classroom. Oh, it was, it was um, a lot of emotions. I mean, it was me, Nico, Kyle, Luis, uh, Adriana, Celeste, Maria. Like, it was just, we had a Juan, Patty. We had, like, we, it was just a certain core of people that you would always see in your room. And it was always, you were always helping everybody, whether it be with ELS or, you know, me and Nico were working on a U.S. history packet from South Coast or something. You always had, you know... Here's this, this, this. Okay, everyone's good. All right. And then you would kind of even get us to a point where you would just check in and we always had like an agenda. Like we were over in the corner and then you had the girls with you at the table. I always remembered that it was just there was such good team dynamic. Like we were almost a little mini family. Like, and that's how I looked at it. Um, you know, I took such great responsibility mm -hmm. for your success. Like your success became my Mm -hmm. And if there was a student that was failing, I took it personal mm -hmm. because, um, you know, being a woman of color and being a teacher, mm -hmm. we're underrepresented Definitely. in the teaching profession as a woman and as a color. And so I know what it's like mm -hmm. to have no one believe in you and to have no one 
have visions for you and exactly push you and want you to aspire to greater so everybody that walked in through my classroom i wanted to push them to the best version of themselves that they could be. Mm -hmm. definitely but in order to do that oh yeah i'm sorry no you're good it, i got it it's just you're gonna come through a little quiet and you're important so i'm gonna okay. craig how are we better yeah. okay Is this better yeah Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. We're just, it's, it's just, we're plugging and playing here. So this is our first video set too, because we have all of our audio versions. So yeah. now we're finally getting that, but continue. Um, okay. So I was saying, yeah, as a woman of color, who was a teacher mm -hmm. in a rural area, yes. I was the only Latina on staff. Yes, you were. I was the only bilingual teacher yep. at the school. Yep. And so I felt um, a very can, I felt like a connection to the students that mm -hmm. were ostracized by yes. other students mm -hmm. or unfortunately by other staff. Yes. And so I was sent students that other faculty didn't want to deal with yep. or people had just given up on. That and was very common. Oh, get out of my... That, right? Oh, I remember. I mean, even... I mean, you know, no names, but a particular friend of mine when we would be in Miss Platt's class. She wouldn't put up with us if say we're in the back or whatever. And, you know, I get it. She's giving a lesson. Pay attention. But just work with the student. Maybe they have an attention deficit disorder. Maybe it is hard for them to absorb what you are saying. And they are distracted talking to their friend Johnny or whatever, you know. Right. And I always remembered the teachers at our school would kick out the kids that were either had a reputation or they just didn't want to deal with them. Yeah. Right when they would walk in, get out. Right. And it's, what that does to a student. You change the trajectory of a lifetime. Exactly. Makes by, them, oh, I don't care. They don't care about me. Right. Yeah. And so my goal, my first goal when I got there was just to learn from the students. Yes. Like, I really hated it as a student. Like some new teacher comes in and they start like telling you what to do. And this is how we're going to do it. I wanted yeah. to learn from the students. I wanted to learn the culture. I wanted to learn the the community and then after that i wanted it to be a safe space because students cannot yeah. learn if they're not in a safe space no if they're not um being listened to and if they're not emotionally available well and you also too what you did really well was you knew what we were like dealing with and what we were up against and what we had already started to you know have challenges with not only was it a safe place but you made us feel comfortable talking to you about certain things. I remember there were instances, for, for example, where I was telling you things I would have never told my parents. And that's pretty powerful as a teacher to move a student that way. And, you know, that's why I, I give you so much praise because you, you also taught me how to express myself and you also taught me how to tell people how I'm feeling. And it's okay to tell people because that person could help you. So another thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> um, some of the students that would come into my classroom would be reeking of weed. Oh. Because, you know, Mendocino. <laughs> guilty. Um, and Sorry. <laughs> I, I was like, okay, well, what's more important? Getting mad at them? Getting mad at them, telling them not to do X, Y, or Z, or just making sure that they're safe. Mm -hmm. So I would have kids in my classroom that were reeking, but they felt safe being there, and they weren't doing out doing god knows what yeah. anywhere else yeah 
and eventually they would show up not smelling like weed and doing their work and being ready to do whatever yeah and you saw that side of them so you knew like okay i know i can get this out of the student and even like they, they felt comfortable i mean god how many times i've walked into your club all of us what are you guys doing oh it's coming back from the cafeteria <laughs> god well oh, man we we're so thankful you know, to have you <laughs> school um it's it's a, a great place for a lot yeah. of students if they're academically gifted or if you know they're high performing but school can be a very scary place it for is so many of us that don't well, fit or you know click any of the boxes well it's also too like school i mean it's like high school I mean, if you don't fit in, then there's all the other challenges that come with, you know, making friends or fitting in or being popular, you know, like because our sports were kind of weird. Like we weren't a big sports school, but we were very competitive within our own area. You know, mm -hmm. there were some judgmental people. I remember because like I talked to our last guest about it, uh, how I did golf. And you remember I was a mm -hmm. very avid golfer in high school and I had made that decision to not play baseball where then those baseball kids were like, ugh. You know, it's like, who cares, dude? Like, I'm doing what I want. My body, <laughs> like, you know, why do I have to do what everybody else is doing to make what? Make you happy? Nah, I'm good. You well, know. you know, when you have a school that is so small. 127 or 140 or 127? 127, I th yeah. think it was my, my senior year. My senior year was 127. And to then put that in perspective, my graduating class was 2,000 people. Yeah, well, just a few hours away. Like, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. My graduating class was over two thousand. I went to Crenshaw High School. Yeah, and so I dealt with a lot of the same things that um, some of you students were dealing with. So. Yeah. One thing <laughs> I had though, one student tell me I had street cred, and that's why he would come to my classroom. Oh, you and... were you were triple verified. <laughs> no, like because see the thing was is when you we heard got, it here first. <laughs> when, we, when we got introduced to Dr. Vasquez when we were fourteen, I remember how our school years would start would be Mr. Galetti, you know, get everybody in the auditorium, pack the chairs up with everybody, you know, we're all rowdy, first day of school, energy's great. And we would do a segment where uh, Mr. Galetti would introduce all the new teachers. And I remember when you were introduced to all of us and it was like, oh, whoa, like we have a, Latin, a Latina teacher coming from Los Angeles. How in the hell did you find us? Like we were sitting up there like, what? what? Oh, okay, for sure, for sure. But then it just turned into this great, you know, relationship. And further too, with our relationship in high school, you also, we would do coffee cart together, mm -hmm. which honestly, that, I give a lot of praise to you and Vicky now, those kitchen skills got me and got me ready for just basic things. Cause I remember when I got my first apartment in Santa Cruz when I was 19, you know, I was like, okay, I know how to pour a boiling hot pot of water without <laughs> hurting myself. I know how to use a knife without cutting my finger off. Like just those small things you guys taught us. I was like, wow, like they really were preparing us for success. And yeah. one thing too, now that we can kind of talk about, so what was, uh, how did you find the application to apply at Point Arena High School? Like, I know you were fairly fair um, out of college, right? Like, mm -hmm. and you were out, you know, job seeking. So how did that process start? If you want to fill everybody in. Yeah. So I believe in happenstance. Oh, okay. You know what that is? I think I've heard of it, but just elaborate it on happenstance, it. Happenstance, just you are at the right place at the right time and you meet the right person and like all of the stars align and things happen for mm -hmm. you. 
So I had just finished my graduate degree mm -hmm. with my teaching credential, and my sister at the same time was finishing up her bachelor's at Stanford University. Okay, so she was up north. She was up north. Okay. And her friend uh, was graduating alongside her, Lindsay, oh. Lindsay Smith. Okay. He is the daughter of Gordon Smith. Right. He lives in Annapolis. Yep. You might know him. I know Gordon. He used to be a board member. Yeah. And so well, actually, my dad's worked on his house before. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I've been to his house. It's like up in the mountains. Yeah, it's, it's out. There. It's off on like you go up Annapolis and then you go out on a dirt road. Yes, it's out there. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, it's very rural. So I was sitting next to him during um, part of the graduation yeah. ceremonies, and you know, small talk. What are you doing? Oh, I just got my you know, my graduate degree. I'm um, I have a special ed credential. Da da da. He says, Well, you know, we're looking for a special education. Why don't you apply apply i was like yeah sure you know i don't have any children i wasn't dating reuben at the time i remember you were like there was no reuben i remember that yeah there was reuben's awesome nothing <laughs> tying me down so i was like you know what i I'm might young. never get this chance yeah. again. i'm young i don't have any children i'm gonna do it and yeah. so i applied and they called me right away and i went out and i interviewed and they offered me the job like like that, that. same day yeah, and I remember too. Uh, you had asked, "What well, what was the question you had asked?" Uh, the main source of income for families. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> when it was my turn to ask them questions, I wanted to learn about the community. I said, "You know, what is it? Because it's such a small town. Like, how, how do people make money? How do people? You know, how do you live here?" So I said, "What's the main source of income for parents around here?" And they said, "Oh, agricultural," and then. Uh, Coach Dan, do you remember him? Yeah. I believe he's the principal now of South Coast. Mm -hmm. He says, like, almost like begrudgingly, he says, well, you know, the pot industry is really. Yeah, you, really Coach Dan, bigger. he will, he would never hold anything back. He was the, I'm going to give it to you straight. Yeah. Him and, and Jim DeWilder, too. Yeah, he's pretty funny. Oh, they're not afraid to open their mouth. No filters. <laughs> no filters, especially Mr. Shea. Shout out Jim, though. We played a lot of booster tournaments together. Oh, yeah. No more Sea Ranch Golf Course. It's gone? Mm-hmm. Wow. It couldn't pay off the original loan to, for the expansion from the 90s, and it got, it's done. No more senior um, golf course, yeah. You know, I um, oh, I, often, I often dream about Point Arena. Like, really? Dream about being back on campus and driving up that windy road to get to Point Arena. And you Arena. too, and you, were, you had your house too um, at the top of the hill there in Point Arena for a little bit, I remember too. You had your home. We were renting. Okay, yeah. I was. I thought you guys had bought that one. No, there's no way you can buy a house up there with a teacher's salary. Yeah, maybe maybe if the economy was was di any sort of salary. Right. It's <laughs> yeah. just. I don't know. It it's sad because you know you're missing out on really uh, great teachers. Yeah, and uh, to just there. to kind of tie in too with some music questions, I have you. Of have for you so i know that you're a big tupac shakur fan and um you grew up in the 90s and the 2000s and so you were in the heat of that kind of biggie tupac feud right i was i was in high school and as i shared before i went to crenshaw which was predominantly african-american yeah so you had the students who were siding with tupac and those who were siding with well, the biggie. east coast yeah and it was like a legit feud on campus. So um, would you have some people like, oh, you like Biggie? I'm going to beat you up. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It's still it. 
but on every episode. I'm a metalhead. I don't listen to him. But, like, even I know Pac Beef is alive and well today. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's become a different thing. Love, but, like, I, I tell people. Big ear Tupac. Who do you like? Like it's yeah, it's like Coke. The divisive divide. <laughs> Coke and Pepsi. Yeah, exactly. Coke Cola. Same thing. Like, Pepsi goes flat. You're not wrong anymore. Ask like. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, what, to wrap back on the question is: is you're a Tupac fan, and I know that. So, yes. was it ever like you just kind of kept to yourself type thing? Like, oh, no. Um, Did you the voice majority it? of my. Um, my friends were Tupac fans, mm-hmm. and you know, we were pretty vocal. And he spoke to many of the struggles that you know we were going through at well, the time. And you tie, and also too, I mean, with Pac being California and having that LA understanding, you guys could relate more to that music than a guy who's being arrogant and you know, oh, Biggie, because it doesn't at that point it doesn't even seem like you're listening to the music. You're just right. trying to pick a side, right? So, yeah. so was there so? Were you in high school when Tupac was murdered or were you in college? It was my first year of college. Okay. And I remember exactly where I was when it was announced that he had Where were you? I was on my way up to my dorm room Uh and my roommate came out of the room screaming. Tupac's dead. And we were all at that point still hoping that he will put through. Mm -hmm. But... There was nothing. He was gone. So you were a freshman at USC. And also, I remember you taught me this. She went to USC when Carson Palmer was there. Yeah, and Reggie Bush. Yeah. That's, that's pretty dope. That's why I was like, yeah, because we're, we're big sports fans. So, you know, you got to shout out the USC alumni. <laughs> hey, I always remember, though, growing up, though, like watching Carson Palmer on the Bengals. I mean, he was a decent quarterback. Just didn't really get a good offensive line and a good set of receivers. But, yeah, you, you had Carson Palmer when you went. And you went there, so that was 96, and that was your freshman year of college. Uh, 95 was my freshman year. Like 95, 96. So. I, was, I wasn't even born yet. God damn. Oh, God. Ah. Thank you. Thank you for the time, Dick. I was around. So. There you go. <laughs> I was so, eight years old. To wrap around this question, guys, uh, if, if you want to pop me right here on this. Um, so what we got going for you here is uh, pretty much um, we've kind of got to know uh, Dr. Vasquez a little bit and our upbringing together and uh, our connection with one another and my upbringing. But today what we're going to do here is she's brought some photos from the Tupac Shakur exhibit. Yes. Okay. So what she's going to do here, um, I'll direct you over to your camera, um, is she's going to go through some photos she took. And this, these were pieces that and were... A video. Oh, and a video too. Sorry. Um, She's going to be going over some pieces and kind of explaining them in her own perspective. Um, She went to the Tupac Shakur exhibit here in Los Angeles, and that was from the the Shakur family estate. Yes. Like gifted and obviously controlled, but they were able to do that, which I think, honestly, there's a lot more artists that need that who have passed on. So I think this is probably going to be a really good thing for hip hop and people who have passed on, you know. So without further ado, guys, we're going to let Dr. Vasquez, uh, she has a little set of slides here for us and uh, take it away. Um, Thank you, AJ. So the Tupac estate uh, put together, curated a an experience. And this was at LA Live 
And it was scheduled to run for just a couple of weeks, but it was uh, pretty um, popular mm -hmm. with everyone. You would see school buses pull up with children. Um, as a matter of fact, the estate made it free for school-aged children. So Ellie Unified, you know, very um, involved in having that piece. And mm -hmm. I went multiple times, so <laughs> I would see the buses of children pull up, and I would ask them questions about what they thought. And several of them had not even been born yet when Pac was singing, so that was kind of like, wow, you know? Kind of old <laughs> but i'm thankful to have been alive when he, he was, was alive. alive and seeing the change in him as an artist and honestly going through that experience just made me sad yeah all over again for Definitely. having lost a voice and all that he could have been because he had so much more to give and yes. so many plans so oh i know, I know we're, we're supposed to be focusing on the art here but um back to the earlier conversation that you talk about like sadness and loss with, with Bach and how you lost something, right? That's something that started dealing with. That's something that are so invested in his growth. And that's something that you kind of taking that growth. Um, I would say absolutely. Whether it's, um, consciously or not but when i first got to point arena uh, one of the things we were told is that you're not uh, you're not to allow students to listen to music in class because it's disruptive and we had a school security <laughs> r.i.p to gunning may he rest in peace yeah um, lovely guy and he took his job very seriously he did he wanted us to be safe but it was, you know, mix of emotions. <laughs> right. So if the rule was no music, then he walks in. My kids are all on, you know, some kind of music earpiece or whatever, and I would get in trouble. But, you know, whatever. Um, I knew the power of music. Definitely. And I knew that kids could concentrate more and that it spoke to them. It calmed them. It Music mm. triggers a different part of the brain. Exactly. It works fundamentally. Yes, a certain all frequency. ADHD now, yes, but it, yes. it helps having the multi. I remember Absolutely. there was. I don't know if you remember this too, AJ, but I would always give kids a stick of gum. You would. Because she chewing would. also, you know, connects she, the synapses. She I use it little, for testing. Yeah, she, <laughs> she <laughs> I, I had I use her it for studying and I use it for testing. Wow, I remember you had. Oh my God. And I would get in trouble for that too. Yeah. Because then they would say, well, you know, there's going to be gum under the table or gum on the floor. There was never any gum under no, my table. No, because we knew that you were giving us a little reward and kind of like, hey guys, you know, being that cool teacher, making us feel comfortable with you, you know? And that's what I feel like Point Arena too. They wanted to take us being ourselves away. Like they wanted to make us people like i get it it's a system but they were they wanted to teach almost like certain objective up there of being a human being that isn't now kind of a societal kind of person you know i think there's um so many positive things to point arena and so many areas that we could further grow in but coming in as a new teacher and from the big city with this different perspective yeah i had a different lens and so what I did was when I came in, the first thing was to make everyone feel safe in my classroom. You did an amazing and job. And then to make it uh, 
a place where they could actually learn and study. And little by little, you know, you start building in those uh, organic boundaries. Mm-hmm. So it did get to a point where I had really clear expectations of my kiddos. Like, you are going to get an A in that class. Yeah. And I am going to help you to do that. Yeah, and we're going to so, do this together, you know. But and... it was part of the relationship that I had built with the kiddos. Mm-hmm. Like, you cannot ask someone to do something. If you don't have the relationship and the connection with the student. Right. 100%. Right. 100%. So... Let's get back into this though to tie around. Great question though, Greg. Sorry, I told no, you. No, no, that's fine. That actually, that that was a really, really good question. Thank you for bringing that up. I appreciate that. Cyanide, shout out to Cyanide behind there. Always get a little, <laughs> got a little. You know, he's my tech guy, but he also he's kind of like he's like like a Joe Rogan, Jamie. You know, he he'll yeah. chime in a little bit. But let's get back here. So this I'm looking at right now. Words of wisdom. Is this a poem? So the exhibit had many different halls. Okay. And so this particular one speaks to Tupac's words of wisdom. And I believe that one is um, as you went into the poetry room. Prolific mm-hmm. writer. Everything was handwritten. Yes. This was a This was very... really before a digital era. I mean, yes. he was, you know, 96. So, I mean, you're just starting to slowly get typing and... Right. Mm-hmm. But in one of um, the areas of the exhibit, it speaks to how he wanted to write because there's something as an artist when you put pen to paper. Mm-hmm. As opposed to typing, it also, the brain also um, functions Uh, differently when it's something. And, you know, being an artist yourself, you probably. Yeah, I actually started. So with me, with my music, I have music on the side. This is my main focus, but I don't like typing my music on my phone because for me, you're trying, you're multitasking because when you get into a studio, it's all crammed down on a little phone and then you're like. You know, you might scroll too fast or something. For me, I can put my whole entire verse on a piece of paper. And, you know, just like music class, I have my little thing like for your sheet music. But I just put it right next to me. I prop it up. I level. And I'm just going the whole time. But it gives me more free embodiment and power within my music to actually express what I want to say inside the studio. Right. So So writing is more powerful. Right. Yes. So all of his music, he wrote by hand. Yes. All of his poems written by hand. And the estate did such an amazing job of curating. Yeah. Those are just some of his poems. Some? Some of his poems, yeah. Wow, because I remember when I was listening to well, J- Jada Smith, because she had a little an entanglement with him. She said that he, <laughs> well, she he used to write her poems. Yes. And she still has some of them. Yes. And I, I know that he was, that was something when he wasn't writing music or he, he was, actively writing and practicing his craft because not only is music poetry poetry is music it's an expression it's a feeling it's it's feel exactly it's how you feel and i mean so right here what do we have these are just some of the poems so how many let's see here that's a five by like 10 that's probably 50 on that wall that's probably at least 75 to 100 right there and are they all very structured like long poems are they quick three sentence poems they're all pretty um pretty long like he was telling an emotion or maybe he was feeling or maybe a past trauma or right and so you know he comes from a very storied family too his mother was a black panther Mm -hmm. his mother was in that movement his um his family Mm -hmm. was in that movement and as a young child uh the fbi was monitoring everything that they did 
So there is a part in the exhibit that speaks to that, where it says that he helped the parents um, smear peanut butter on the windows so that the FBI couldn't, like, gaze in with whatever technology they were using at the time. But Wow. He speaks from a place of authenticity and pain and trauma. That's where I see a lot of artistry because I deal with a lot of hip-hop artists. I feel like that is gone. It's just, I'm going to get on stage yeah, I'm getting money, I'm doing this, or you're really good with your words, but it's like um, how we had Avery. Yeah, I mean, Hop it's... Hopson it's... told him, like, okay, that's predictable. You know, like, Tupac's music, you're like, okay, what's he going to say? You know? It was, for I... me, in that moment, it was a social movement. Like, yeah. Music was part of a social movement, and... And, and hip-hop his... was really progressing in the 90s. It, it's, it's... I remember... But I remember hearing like the uh, the mama yes. song where he sings about his mama and all the shit that she went to prop him up, and that spoke to me as mm -hmm. a kid from Sacramento. Still reached me, mm -hmm. Still definitely had an impact on my life and like generational boundary. Well, it's just like one of the it's just like you know, shout out to even just like Mac Dre. You know, he it's Tupac and Mac Dre are similar to me because they could talk to the doctor at the doctor's office or talk to the pimp on the street or the nerd doing homework. Yeah, they could talk to anybody. Yeah, and you know? I think for me, Tupac is kind of like what, um, yeah. Yeah, exactly, and and I can see that because honestly, like I was just getting into well, I was when I was getting into hip hop, I had found out who Mac Dre was, and I only had well, I was alive, but I only knew about Mac Dre for one week, like before he passed away, and then my mom had seen me with my friends because you had the thizzle dance, you had this hyphy movement. We were getting into that as eight, nine year old kids, you know, like wow, hyphy, right? It, we we loved it, but then. A week later in the Press Democrat, I remember the day I found out Mac Dre died. I was uh, nine years old or eight years old. Sorry, I was eight years old. November 1st, Press Democrat. And my mom gave me the paper. She's like, isn't this the guy that you guys are starting to listen to right now from Vallejo? I'm like, yeah, what happened? And she's like, I think he got murdered in Kansas City. And I remember reading the Press Democrat article when I was eight years old. And that was kind of like the first time I've like really took in a loss of a someone I was like wow like I just found out about this guy what happened but my mind was so numb to the situation you know I didn't understand I just like it was music to me you know yeah. so I could understand how when you were 18 it kind of like you know would... you know during that time when I was 18 I was you know, obviously in high school senior yeah and there was a lot of um, anti-immigrant sentiment coming out and Pete Wilson was the governor and there was of a... California Prop 187 was coming out, and that was very anti-immigrant. Like, don't allow them in schools. Don't. Oh, whoa! Like, See, was, I'm not. I have, I'm not educated like that. So. So one of the songs that Tupac put out was called "To Die and Live in L.A." Okay, so that has kind of substance yes, to that and he bill. He speaks to that in that music, and that's the power of music. Like education, rallying, supporting, that was part of music. Mm -hmm. And you're right when you say that hip-hop now is completely different and it's materialistic. Very, and it's, it's fair. Yeah, it's like, look what I have, look what I have. And that's why I'm really proud that I've gotten myself into the underground hip-hop scene. Like, you know, I, I, I bring Cyanide out and he's a metalhead, right? He was like, dude, 
I had a great time. Who would have thought you dragged me out to an underground hip hop show, your own festival, and I had this much fun? I was like, well, that's that's the love of hip hop right there. Like you had hip hop inspire you to like, wow, like this is awesome, you know? Right. So Tupac and the hip hop movement of back then inspired me to want to yeah. be an agent of change. Definitely. So right here, I'm looking, we're into our next photo here. What's well, what is uh, cyanide? You want to read that off? It says in my home, a book, any book is uh, is a sacred item. In my home, a book is more important than a light bulb. A book is more important than the sofa. The book must be preserved. That is the home that Tupac lived in. Uh, I'm getting goosebumps right so now. So that is a quote <laughs> by his mom. Ah. And I couldn't. I didn't know how to say her name. <laughs> <laughs> that. Um, should be everyone's priority, educating themselves. Yeah. And he would read newspapers like LA Times, New York Times, educating himself so that his hip hop was relevant to mm -hmm. the struggles of the time. And that's the thing too. I, I give kudos to my pops. He still reads three papers a day. Like, like pops, let's get you a that. Ah, no, I want to go get that newspaper because the things they put in the newspapers are not putting on the news. I mean, if you've read in a recent newspaper and you read a call, like, why is this not being talked about instead of, you know, oh, this person hit this person. Ratings. Obviously, yeah. the media plays a big role in it. So with this right here, these books, um, is that Fahrenheit 451 on to the right? Uh, I, judging by... So just the color scheme? I would say it might be a modern iteration, but it doesn't. So these books, were they books he read yes. as a child? Yes, and they're books. Van Gogh earlier in our off conversation, there's a Van Gogh book there. Yeah. I see uh, Black Power. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm trying to identify further. There we go. We can actually just zoom in. Oh, I was, oh, Catcher, Catcher in the, in the Rye. Rye. Okay, we, we had to read that. So all of those <laughs> books were yeah. formative. And the Roots. Sadly, some of those books are banned in many places across the country. I know that there was a, a push for a while there to, speaking of Fahrenheit, push to have that be a ban because it is literally that. It's, it talks about how powerful books can be. And burning all the books. Yes. Yeah. That was an interesting one. And you almost say Catcher in the Rye and Fahrenheit 451, when we had to do, what were those things they had us do? It was the whole school. Fucking, we had these projects. I don't know what the, the idea with it was, but... <laughs> Every so ninth through twelfth grade, every grade was assigned a portion of the book. So they would break it down into four sections. We would get diorama. We would have to read it. We all had to write a paper about it, and then we all had to collaboratively come together and make a cinema about that. And then we would put the four cinemas together and make a whole rendition of the book. But we don't watch what the other people are doing. So we all sit and we have a video school like movie premiere and we all get to see you know like we'll all expect but then you know that's cool so that's what we used to do and i remember though with that book catcher in the rye and fahrenheit 451 those are actually the only two i read okay. and and actually saw interest in because it just to me it wasn't your common have you seen the no should i watch it it's pretty good is it a good rendition though i think so yeah. I, it's not it's not letter for letter but you know, taken for taking something as sure. powerful as that and converting it to a yeah. written challenges. Yeah. 
I think they did a pretty good job. Of so um, this right here, though, I like, though, because thank you for zooming in, because I, I kind of I just from I'm a recognition person. So I could right off rip. I was like, I think I know that book. So there's, <laughs> I think there's, I know that book. There's a, a Malcolm X book in there. Oh, yeah. Speaking of the we actually had Afro perform and uh, he. Oh, wow. Right there. Hell yeah. Malcolm X. You got the the Charles Hamilton Black Hour. Uh, you got the Roots by Alex Haley. My name is Ishmael. Wow. That actually is another Van Gogh book right there. So. That's a very learned man. I mean, to have read Moby Dick, I would say so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a read. I, I've read that in it. Yes. <laughs> so with this, though, if I may ask, you being a teacher, I know you love to read and you're very, you know, you, you, you got your doctorate. Did, did you spend maybe extra time here? Did this kind of, did this motivate you at all, or did it kind of speak to you in a different way from any part of the exhibit? Because I feel like this right here, just me personally, after he read that, I felt empowered. I did spend extra time just looking at that, and also part of the exhibit was wearing um, some earphones, oh. so you're listening to the tour as well, and you can hear the mother talking about the importance of books and the importance of education and how people have died to preserve books and so music became a way to preserve the message the book that has been burned and so the two are connected in that manner they're both yes. powerful and they're both silenced when whatever oppressive body doesn't like message and yeah and we're seeing a lot of that these days even I mean, it's not just these days dude like oh yes Mm -hmm. Got the pagan. Yeah, everything. They whitewashed the world and they burned it and lost a lot of culture. Well, you know, that's the so reason much too. knowledge was lost for sure. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen the new Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I've, I have not, not yet. I personally, but. I was in the middle of it, but I know that some what I've seen, there's such a strong message in that. I actually stopped watching it halfway through because I was like, you know what? I don't think I'm just clear-headed enough to watch this i feel like that's a type of movie where you gotta like sit down hey shut the hell up i'm gonna watch this mm -hmm. i'm i'm waiting for a time i i don't know if that's yeah. weird or if you felt that before but i don't feel like my mind is actually appropriately ready to try and understand that african tribe the tribe in africa of the where the women lead oh the oprah women. right wasn't viola oprah in that? Davis. oh viola yeah, davis she, it's like the, she's amazing the woman king yeah that that's was what it was called movie, i haven't seen it yet i saw the trailer and that shit gave me goosebumps it is a really great movie yeah because um, women ruling right i mean so you don't see it i mean it's not just that the women were ruling dude it, that they were like a small, like, like, think 300 Spartans. No, no, were I know that. I've seen the trailer, all, but I'm just the... saying just in general, though, to let women have that much power and be that strong, you know? So the Wakanda Forever is from a woman leader perspective. Yes. And the Dora Milaje, which reminded me of the Woman King because they're elite female warriors. Mm -hmm. And so there's a segment in that movie where, you know, the, the young Namor is coming out of the water and he's seeing... Catholicism, mm -hmm. the conquistadors, yes. the colonizers coming in and burning everything. So lost so much knowledge. So many books were burned. Um, these were not people who were 
Well, I think it was, uh, let's see here, because my, my dad taught me this. reason why we didn't have cement. Was, was it the fall of the Roman or the Greek Empire when the Romans burnt all the books? They burnt the recipe for cement. So, you know, <laughs> do you know why the Roman just figured Be, this out well, this year? Oh, really? There's, wow. there's a huge scientific the look at the Ash old Colosseum stuff. Crack, they seem Because isn't it because of the ash yeah. from the, the limestone? As the limestone gets wet, it expands. Common cement. Lie. Fine and coarse aggregate. Water. And that's, that's concrete. That's cement, how we right? have potholes. Yeah, like. exactly. But and so that's, that's why their Those stuff roads. is good for so long. That's knowledge we lost. Sure. Yeah. But we yeah. just, because. Modern technology is, yeah. We were able to recently, just this year. Yeah. It's crazy that that was something that they knew way back then, but my way is right and your way is wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's so unfortunate. Imagine how much. We don't even know lost technology in a sense, like, you know, that we don't even know about because there's all these things coming out too with like, oh, like 12,000 years ago, there was humans and there was a huge reset. But right that's here, we have you, it seems like, is that a headset on your head? Yes, that's the headset. Okay, so, uh, did, was it, did Ruben did, did snap this? Did you have this? to wear theirs, or did you get your own? Uh, they provide them. Okay. Are you right at the start? Well, of- you get some beats, or what? <laughs> they beats provide- by Tupac? <laughs> oh! Uh, yes, um, they provide the headset yeah. to you at the beginning, and they tell you how to work it. Mm-hmm. And so, every exhibit has a place that you scan, and then the story starts, so... This particular day, I was stuck on writing my dissertation. I'd hit a wall, as writers and songwriters do. I'm going to go see Tupac. I'm going to go be inspired. So this is me being at the exhibit for the second time, trying to be inspired. And, I mean, yeah. And um, it was taken by my friend, Dr. Walker, and she's part of this resilient Walker movement. And if you want to so we'll show here. that. Yeah, if you want to show that really quick. Make sure the mic's in front. Okay, I, won't I got you. you. There you go. <laughs> so this sweater here says, um, "This is the R for resilient." And my good childhood friend, Doctor Walker, we went to um, middle school together. Traumatic experiences, and she took her experience and became a motivational speaker. And so she speaks to trauma and how to overcome it, and how you can find strength. And, and guidance through your traumas. We need more people like that. And so um, music is part of that. And so is that part of her like uh, teaching or her ther- therapy sessions or how she communicates so she with people? she started off as a special ed teacher mm-hmm. and found that to be a passion and a gift. Mm-hmm. So now she just uh, is the innovative speaker. Yes, yes. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Because yeah. I mean, and you're supporting your friend too. So like I'm definitely, I'm going to check out. Oh, that's a nice old you pullover know, hoodie right there. <laughs> I, I like to support my people. I, you I do an amazing job of that. You are giving back in ways like I will say I was like, okay, well, we'll, uh, you know, we'll check out and see what Ms. Vasquez and I showed the movement. And I was and I was like, the fact that you were like, oh, I'll sponsor you. I was like, what? You want to sponsor me? Like, oh, my God. Like, you know, because to me that like shows like we've talked about, like how much, you know, and like even like that's you being a real person, too. Well, you know, that's the street cred. Yeah, <laughs> there's your street cred. I, you know, I'm 
I'm very much a believer that we don't live in a vacuum. No, we, we don't. Cannot, we cannot become better versions of ourselves if we don't lean on somebody else for support. Yes. So I had people helping me, and now I'm helping people because I'm hoping those people will help other people. Yeah. Like and we you, can't. What you were able, though, to allow me to make sure it went well, I was able to give a stage to 15 other up-and-coming artists to work alongside a major major industry hip-hop guy came right up in here and he was humble and he knew like i'm here to encourage and inspire these young upcoming mcs and hip-hop artists to be where i am today so not only did fro empower that but by you helping us you gave those 15 people that opportunity that night so thank you so much and it was a good show it was yeah. a it great was, show it was i a great wanted show. to make it but i was so sick it's okay i mean we had a lot of people here you're thinking about community too like yeah what one person wants to have fun but ruin it for everybody yeah. else i mean we haven't we have another one coming up so we got you you already <laughs> we're gonna you just you just pull up as fast cuz you just gotta pull up you got you got, you got tickets on the last one so we got we got to honor that i had no because i had a few people that because it was rainy and so like you know we're gonna make it right for everybody you know, you know? um when um I got in touch with you about the festival and I was like, I, how can I help? How can I sponsor? And then you said, I'll comp you tickets. I said, no, <laughs> let me pay for them because I'm so irritated when someone says, oh, you're my friend. I know you. Why don't you give me a percentage cut on your craft, on your passion, on your income? Because that uh, shit cost me time. That's why you don't. Right. right. Yeah. So I believe in paying people. For yeah. Their Which I appreciate, you know, but that was that was just me trying to give a thank you. But I understand that you're like, well, you're in this to do something. You're not doing this for free. Right. You know, which is awesome, though, because you kind of taught me a little bit, though, on that one. You're like, no, I'm going to pay you. <laughs> yes. so, pay people what they're worth. It's respect. Yeah. And that's like I talked to um, we had an artist on the show a few episodes ago and we had talked about uh, the value of our paintings. She's also an artist. She actually is Naomi. She did this piece right here. Very, very beautiful piece. It's taken her over two years to make this. And I asked her, I was like, well, how do you feel, you know, when you have an art piece and, you know, say you put a, a price on it and then they just depreciate that value, you know, like she was like, oh, well, you know, like we do our thing and but it's what the value is to you and how you hold yourself. Because if you show the weakness, then, you know, that's what people right. are going to do. So really quick, though, I'm now looking. This one just caught my I had no record all my life. No record, no police record until I made a record. Police record. Yeah, no police record until I made a record. So that spoke to me because the records talking about reality, about inequality, about so many of society's ills. And is, if I'm looking, is he a black guy? Yes. Was he beat up by cops? Yes. Damn. Jaywalking. Yes. <laughs> when was this? Uh, like early Tupac days. The jaywalking. And does this happen in L.A.? Yeah. You would think, you know. It, you know, it was a, it was a lot. So what do we have? Uh, we have here. This is. Okay, so Tupac Roses. Yes. Yeah, so. Mr. Machiavelli. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a collection of his poetry. Um, that was put together by the estate mm -hmm. after his death and it's titled the rose of concrete yes that's the title of one of his poems and so this particular painting at the end of the exhibit when he talks about growing through it city mm -hmm. so you're walking through this hall rose petals kind of just falling 
off on the sides and it smells like roses. So all of your senses are activated. Visual, you're off, you're off like everything. That's the video you saw. Yes, that's the video I saw. That's, uh, so I think, yeah, that's to go with this. So this is a quick little video of, this is you, this is the end of the exhibit? Yes. Okay, so you said there's those are like rose petals like on a digital. Yes. And that sound is probably the... It's the heat, the air the conditioning, rose, the uh, HVAC. The rose smell coming So in. right there what you saw, so we'll, we'll, let's run that just one more time so we can give people a second take on that. Yeah, and mind you again too for the noise, guys. Shout out to Exhibit. For giving us the space got a little train coming by so right there pretty much guys is what we have is that just the end representation of the exhibit so what they're trying to do i what i'm picking up on is like the rose petals have fallen right so you go through his life almost and at the end the roses reminding you that a rose grew from the concrete like you have all sorts of trauma that you go through yes but through adversity, there can be growth and there can be beauty. And you know what? I solely believe in that because you know what? I was dealt a pretty bad hand a few times growing up. wasn't the best. I was lucky. I was fortunate. I had both my parents. And not a lot of households did, but I feel that the adversity and overcoming stuff. Wow. Like, I'm not even at this Tupac exhibit, but I feel like we just got a full like fledge experience so we have one more this is a tupac we have two more but okay yeah. two more so these are um from a song or some poems by you tupac. want me to read it uh yeah cyanide if you want to read that for us this is, i'm not saying i'm gonna rule the world or i'm gonna change the world but i guarantee that i will spark the brain that change that will change the world and that's our job is to spark somebody else watching us we might not be the ones but let let's not be selfish and because we're not gonna change the world let's not talk about how we should change it I don't know how to change it, but I know if I keep talking about how dirty it is out here, somebody's going to clean it. That was part of an interview he gave. And that was part of, uh, we can all be uh, agents of change. Yeah, definitely. We don't have to be the person who does this monumental shift in culture. No. But everyone has their part and small things build into big things. Yes. And so as long as you help the person next to you, you're already changing somebody's <laughs> life trajectory. Yeah, you. I mean, you, you, you changed my life trajectory when we met you. Like I, we knew. Like I keep voicing here. When you know someone is there for you, never take that for granted. When you know someone is there for you, never take that for granted. Because you know, one day that person might not be there anymore. I just say that out of personal experience, where I didn't know it might have been the last time I talked to a past friend or a past relative. Take things how they come. And if someone is that willing to help you and they see something in you, don't, don't sleep on it. That's something I used to do selfishly all the time. Oh, I don't need you. Oh, I don't need this. No. People are here to help. And if you have a community that sees something in you, remember, you have a purpose. All so right. what do we have? This is, we got one more here. Uh, cyanide, if you want to read we that We are off. rose. This is the concrete. And are my damaged petals. Don't ask why. Don't ask me why. Thank God. Ask me how. Mm. Tupac. That's see, and that was that too with the roses there at yes. the end. So that yes. was kind of like was that almost like the final. That was the yeah. Like that little was the hey. Final comment. So we have another one here. So is this a poem or some some bars by Tupac? This is a poem, and this is at the beginning of the exhibit. 
So, Greg, with your best due diligence, <clears throat> uh, cyanide, with your best due diligence here. Please uh, wake me when I'm free. <clears throat> I cannot bear captivity. Where my culture, where my culture, I'm told, holds no significance. I'll wither and die in ignorance. But my inner eye cannot see a race who reigned, uh, who reigned as a king, as kings in another place. The green of trees were rich and full, and every man spoke of beautiful men and women together as equals. War was gone because all was peaceful, but now, I, now like a nightmare, I live where I see. I, I can't read the uh, nightmare. I wake and see that I live, in a, live like a prisoner of poverty. Please wake me. When I am free, I cannot bear captivity, or I would rather be stricken blind than to live without expression of mind. Wow, my terrible public reading. Well, no, I mean, no, I mean, but I mean, you got to decipher that, though. I mean, that's you got ebonics, and you have, you know, you got a little, you got some art there. I mean, you know, it's you're respecting it's his some writing. Yeah. yeah, that's that's how he expressed himself. I mean, shit, we got we got the number four in there. You know, he didn't write out four. That was just. That was a time of, you know, that's who he was, you know, and that's honestly too, when I, when I started getting into music, I always felt like it had to be uh, very uh, grammatical, it had to be very like structured. But one tip I did get from a friend, it doesn't matter what you write, it doesn't matter what you say, it's how you say it and how you present it. Because really, I mean, there's a lot of people like Cyanide showed me a band called Baby Metal. <laughs> and and uh, yeah and i was like sitting there listening to like you know yeah yeah dancing and that like voice in front of like death hardcore thrash metal oh. it is the most obscure doesn't make um do it with such confidence and vibrance that it's actually in a i would never listen to the music but i would go see them live because it's a yeah. great, amazing show i'd feel yeah i don't even know how that'd be on the radio <laughs> you know what you just said about the writing how it shouldn't be structured and it should just be a reflection of who you are of who you are uh it's kind of the role of the educator too i think that you will not remember mm -hmm. the lessons i gave on academic whatever you taught me life but you will always remember how you felt in my classroom and yeah that's still to this day i i there's times i will openly express like i've been so just i was like you yeah, man the days of miss vasquez's has class like a couple of times i've been recent years i've always thought like to it makes me appreciate things more and how i almost took your class for granted where i was like man did i like did i do my best there like you know, did I get everything out of there? I'm still feeling this way. But then in the same sense, you have those positive spirits with you to always remind you, hey, they were still there for you. They still helped you. They still gave you that place. So don't don't think like that, you know. And I, once again, you know, guys, amazing, amazing teacher, an amazing educator. Um, I'm going to be speaking at her career fair for the for Yosemite Valley Charter School. Um two schools out in Fresno. So I will probably have some kind of link or something like that. So you guys can check out my presentation. I want to try and, I want to try and motivate these kids just like you did me.
that's my number one goal with that. That's always been my goal. Just um, very important for our career for this year is to inform students that there are other options other than a four-year college. Yes. And that it's okay. Yes. And sometimes I, it pays better and you don't end up with the student debt. And I built all of this from the ground up. It's been two years of very hard work. The last year has been very consistent, but I went to college. I tried it. It was not for me. And that's okay. Like, and it is okay. It shouldn't and I, be a stigma to Well, it. it shouldn't just be go to high school, go to college, get 100 grand in debt. And there then are have so thousands of people out there that route went to college. Don't even use the degree. I have a but, handful yeah, of friends right now. It's sad. Like, like, find a job. It's, yeah, it's, it's well, sad. That's and there the, are, but there are also like the world can't exist without. Right. Carpentry. Like My all, father. All those people. Yeah. Anybody. learned it from somewhere, and right. most of those require college. No. Like, yeah, they do require some. Just to, to keep you up to date. Well, but, you know, there's value in every education. Exactly. Yes, there is. There's, there's education on the streets. And I also, too, learned, which was a heavy influence. I just want to shout out um, Levi Spangler's grandmother, Donna, Donna Bishop. I remember in high school, too, she was also another... Like, po like another positive place where she told us, she's like, boys, I'm not going to give you a college degree. What I'm going to do is I'm going to teach you the degree of life. And when she told me that, I took that like the degree of life. Well, what's the degree of life? Being a good person, being there for people, having like self-knowledgement of your surroundings, being sustainable. Like there's so much more to life than materialistic items. Having all the money in the world. I just saw an ad on ABC, like a news ad saying, oh, if you make over $150,000, you can't buy a house. Well, okay, that, that might be the case. But even then, they're saying, oh, people are leaving California. That just goes to show you how irresponsible those people are because I live in California on a $30,000 a year income and I do fine. The education system didn't set us up to checks and balances, pay your taxes. You know, the, the, <laughs> the state curriculum is written by people who are not educators. And it kind of flows with the wind, whatever political... When they got to make them look got, good. Right. Yeah. Education. Right. And I think we would do a lot better as a society if we taught kids financial literacy. I finally uh, learned that the last year or two, but it's taken me from being 18 and not having financial responsibility to learn that. Right. So they kind of just throw us out there like where I, I probably use about 10% of what I learned at Point Arena. I, I can't. Uh. <laughs> I, I mean, there's far and few, but I will say that, you know, I, I, I don't regret though where I grew up though, because you know no, what? I mean, it's not just Point Arena. That's in general like i work in construction right carpentry i've never once broke out algebraic equation to build like and i, I you know when i was going through those classes and there are a requirement to graduate i'm not knocking paid education i was told you're going to use this every single day of your life like i've used the python I have not used it, but right. <laughs> you know, but like I work in that field where I should be using that. Like, right. but it's not gonna you know, not like I don't know. And like, no, again, not to knock educators, my teachers, 
job with but like I feel things that are taught aren't always the most I feel that there's a way to do better and to teach better and the fact that we have teachers that realize that and that are advocating for but also at the same point if we're being honest and somebody sat down and taught me taxes in high school I probably would have <laughs> oh yeah you know like i think the thing that you did though is you made it fun like you weren't like a bland educator like you knew how to relate to the students you're like okay i got a group of these guys in here okay i'm gonna switch my vibe a little bit like okay for sure um but you we'll catch that vibe just just a little bit but with a lot some final thoughts here um miss vasquez dr vasquez She's she's a doctor now. Ow, my arm. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Wrong doctor. Wrong doctor. <laughs> but not that kind of doctor. Doctor of education. Yeah, but that's still a very, very, you worked very hard to if do that. If not more important. Huh? If not more important. And I will say that less than 2% of Latinas have reached that. Shout out Dr. Vasquez. You can't have needle poking the arm doctors without education doctors. There you go. But guys, we're coming up on our hour here. You know, like we've voiced, you know, the seat, the shows will get longer. But Dr. Vasquez, thank you for an hour of your time. You got to show us uh, your experience at the Tupac Shakur exhibit, which honestly, that's I'm sad I missed that. And I really hope that they bring that back out over into Oakland, because if they do, I'm, I'm definitely going to try and get out to that. Um, but are there any final thoughts or any um, thing that you would like to say to my audience? Uh, well, thank you for having me here, AJ. It's, uh, it's been fun catching up. Yeah. Last thoughts. I would say find your passion. Um, music speaks to everyone and it transcends generations, cultures. Don't try to conform mm -hmm. to what society says you should find happiness within. Help others find happiness. We are on this planet to help each other. So one kindness builds on another kindness. Definitely. And that's how we change. That's how we become well said. agents of soul. Definitely. That was, that was beautiful. I love how you ended that note. <laughs> no, I mean, that's just, it's just very empowering. And guys... We're coming up to our end here. I'm your host, PBP. This has been another amazing show, the Hot 16s podcast. I hope everybody's enjoying it. Just remember to like, comment, and subscribe. Get those bells whistling when notifications pop for new episodes. I'm your host, PBP. We're out here doing our thing. Dr. Vasquez and I, we're out.